There's a book called Thinking and Acting Like a Christian, and in it the author Bruce Bruce Lockerby tells the story of a woman who is a world-class runner. And because of her world placement, there was not any races in the world that she was not qualified to go to. There was a very prestigious race that was coming up in Connecticut, and on the morning of the race, she drove from New York City where she lived to get to the race, and she was following the directions that she had been given, and somehow she got lost as she was looking for the place where the race was going to begin. And so she stopped at a local store and asked and and said, I'm told that this race begins at a mall. Can you tell me where it is? And the individual that was at the store says, well, there's a mall that's right up the road, and I do know that they're having a race there this morning. And so she jumped in her car and quickly made it there. And as she got to the parking lot, recognized that there were a number of cars there and people that were dressed as if they were going to be running and felt this is the place. She jumps out of the car, runs over to the registration table and introduces herself and uh, the person that was at the registration table looked up at her and said, I, we feel so honored that somebody of your uh, esteem would run in our race. And uh, she looked a little odd at that, and they wrote her name down, and uh, it was just about time for the race to start. They got everybody together, and the horn sounded, and she took off, and she began to run. It wasn't very long into this race that she began to recognize that she was way better than everybody else that was in this race. In fact, she won by four minutes over the closest competitor, which was a man that was in that area known to be quite a runner. It wasn't until after the race was over when she was standing on the winner's platform and they did not give her an envelope with money in it for a a prize and they did not give her money for an appearance fee that it confirmed that she had run in the wrong race on that day. The race that she was looking for and had been invited to was being run several miles away and so the story is of a world-class runner who lined up at the wrong starting line and ran the wrong course won the wrong race and ended up missing her chance at a sizable prize. I understand that we who are followers of Jesus Christ are are in running a race that is against the tide of current in our culture. More and more and more, America is a nation that's given over to play. And the industries that make money on our entertainment are huge. There's computers and apps and DVRs and television and movie that all coordinate to give us more and more stimulation to, to captivate our, our, and distract us from the realities of the world around us that make it to the point where the word that we use more than anything else in describing things or finding value in them is the word fun. When you ask somebody, how was it if they used the word fun, then it becomes something that you would consider participating in. We have lost value for words and experiences such as, well, that was meaningful or significant or enriching or worthwhile or edifying or helpful or strengthening or encouraging or deepening or transforming or valuable or eye-opening or God-exalting. And sometimes I wonder if maybe we haven't lined up at the wrong starting line to run the wrong race, and at the end of it we'll discover when we stand on the podium that we have not earned what we thought we would earn because we ran the wrong race. There is within Scripture, the Bible tells us, that there are rewards for those 
who are obedient to Christ, those who follow the directions of his word. And if you have your bulletin, there's a short outline in there that if you want to just follow along for the next few moments, you might want to jot some things down. But first of all, I would like to just address the question of motivation. What is, what is our motivation for wanting to follow the Lord? In Romans chapter 2, verse 7, that we read as one of our texts this morning, it indicates that it's okay for us to seek for glory and honor and immortality. Now, I want to look at this for a moment because oftentimes we have been told that within our Christian walk that we should not seek for honor and glory, that those belong only to the Lord, and yet Scripture clearly tells us that one of the motivations that we can have on the inside that pushes us to be followers of Jesus Christ is to seek an honor. Now, it might, might not necessarily be honor for ourselves, but that our life might bring honor to our Savior. That glory through our life might be brought to Him where people will see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. And so there's this motivation on the inside of us that comes when we come to know Christ that, that leads us to understand that it is okay for us. It's, it's not a selfish thing and it's not self-seeking to pursue, to seek a life that would be rewardable as we seek for glory and honor and immortality. It basically falls within the category of whatever we do, do it to the best of our ability. To the best of our ability. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, says that the New Testament has a lot to say about self-denial, but not self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ, and nearly every description of what we shall find ultimately leads us to believe that God is appealing to our sense of desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and to earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, then I submit that that notion has crept in from Stoics that have no part in Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider unblemishing the promises of reward, and they are staggering in nature. The rewards that are promised to us in the gospel, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. That we would only be half-hearted creatures if we did not think of reward. And so we should not settle for lesser things than desire to do our best to seek honor in such a way that God would be pleased because what he has in store for us are greater than we can imagine. It's okay for us to have a desire in our heart to pursue the Lord with all of our heart for honor and glory. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. In other words, there's this recognition that Paul understands that he says... We are in a battle here. It's not easy to live a life of faith. It's not easy to be consistent. And so we have to fight it with the understanding that I'm seeking the glory and the honor and the immortality that comes to those who focus and pursue Jesus. In fact, in the scripture that tells us to seek glory, what it really means if you were to take the full encompassing of that Greek word means to seek it, to want it, to pursue it, to crave it, to love it, to desire it. It's okay for us to want to pursue reward that Jesus Christ has for us. In fact, what it really says is don't be listless. Don't be apathetic. Don't become sluggish in the pursuit of spiritual things. But that 
As you grow in the Lord, there should be a desire that intensifies your, your hunger uh, to God should be ignited daily within your heart to pursue him in all of his preciousness and glory and honor and immortality. And so that leads us to then, what does the Bible say about what God rewards? What are things within our life that God would reward? I want you to imagine for a second that you're sitting in an office and there is a stock trader at your office and he's researching the best stocks to invest in and you feel a nudge on your shoulder and you look up and you see Jesus Christ standing beside your desk and he smiles and he reaches into his robe and he pulls out a sheet of paper and he says, these are the 10 best companies that I want you to invest in for the next 50 years. You can't believe what just happened. God has given you the winners that you are trying to predict. And so you determine in that moment, you're going all in, regardless of what it may look like on the surface. If Jesus has given you these things, you're going all in because you want the full reward of his knowledge of what's going to take place. The truth is today that as a Christian, there are listed for us in Scripture things provide for us incredible opportunity for reward. It tells us specifically what Christ will reward and what will bring a return on your investment. And listed for you this morning are 10 slots that you can begin to jot down some things that the scripture specifically states will be rewarded. The first of them is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, it says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verses 17 and 18 of that same chapter. It says, When you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so from the very first aspect of Scripture, the Lord says, if you want to have a great reward as a follower of Christ when you get to heaven, then you need to be a person of prayer and you need to be a person of discipline that you would put aside your earthly and human appetite so that you could begin to focus on him and then do it in such a way that you're not running around telling everybody when they say, ooh, you're not wearing makeup today, or ooh, you look, well, yeah, I'm really fasting and praying. And so you begin to try to tell everybody what you're doing, and the Lord says, that's your reward, the way people look at you. That the way to be rewarded is to do this in secret and so that you are doing things that only the Father can see and he said he will reward you publicly in that day as you follow through on the disciplines of fasting and prayer. The second thing that the scripture says that we will be rewarded for is a compassion for the vulnerable. In Matthew chapter 25 verses 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. There is a sense that the love of Jesus Christ compels us to love those who can give you nothing in return. 
In fact, he says that is one of the things that brings you reward. Is your ability to love people, not for what they can do for you, because I want you to know I treat people really, really well if I know that they have some level of, of, of uh, influence on what may take place in my future. But how do we treat those that have absolutely nothing and can do absolutely nothing for you. They're just vulnerable and they're helpless. And the Lord says, how you treat them, if you visit them, if you clothe them, if you feed them, it is as if Jesus himself is standing there receiving your clothes and your water and your food and your love and your attention. And in that, he writes it down and says, there's going to be a great reward for you someday when you stand before me in the way that you have compassion for the vulnerable. Thirdly, Bearing insults and being excluded for the name of Jesus. You're going, this is going downhill fast. In Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, it says, Blessed are you when men hate you. I hate that verse. I just have to tell you, if I could begin to exclude verses from the Bible, this would be in like the top 25. Blessed are you when men hate you and they exclude you and they insult you and they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Now, this seems really backwards to me. I was trying to picture the response to this verse as I was preparing this and... and about that time, I was watching a golf tournament on TV. It was kind of in the background, and, and one of those golfers made an extremely long and, and unlikely putt, and he began to jump in the air and pump his fist, and everybody began to clap, and I'm thinking, maybe that's the response that Jesus is asking us to have when people don't like you because of the standards by which you have chosen to live. Because of your obedience to Christ, your very nature and your very presence brings conviction on those who don't like Christ and who don't want anything to do with him. And when they badmouth you and when they lie about you, and they will because it's their nature, because Christ is not within them. And when they tell other people not to like you and not to hang around you, Jesus said, you should jump, pump your fist and look at him and go, yeah. Number one, you'll scare them to death. Number two, the scribe of heaven is beginning to write down, and it says, great will be your reward. In other words, our motivation is not to be hated. Our motivation is to be pleasing. And Jesus says, if they don't like you because of me, I will reward you greatly for that. So bearing insults is rewardable. Fourthly, love your enemies. Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good to them. Now, if you're obeying the one right before, this one comes natural. If you're not, you're going to have a hard time with this one. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Just as we who are followers of Christ receive reward for being spoken of evilly does not mean that we can in turn treat those same people in the same way they treat us. What sets us apart is that in the middle of being treated poorly by those who are enemies, we love them without any expectation of return. 
Now, I have to tell you that this is one of the marks that as people look at you will set you apart from those who are without Christ because this is not natural without Christ living within you. In fact, even when Christ lives within us, we have to battle our old man that we just watched people being baptized today, symbolically dying to their old self. And I want you to know that in my life, I've discovered there are times when my old man that I discover is not buried very deep. And yet, clearly, the scripture indicates to us that when this life is over and we're standing before God, those who have had opportunity to love their enemies will be greatly rewarded. Honestly, it's just acting like Christ to us because when we were yet in sin and enemies of the cross, Jesus Christ loved us first. Fifthly, generous giving. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So giving to others and being faithful with the stewardship of what God has brought within your life is a rewardable action. And so whenever you get tempted to be stingy with people and be stingy with the things of the Lord, you need to be re reminded that this is one of those things the Lord taps you on the shoulder and says, I will bring it into your life. I'll give it to you if I know I can get it through you, if you will be generous with people. I will provide. And so generous giving is something that is a rewardable action. Number six hospitality that cannot be repaid in Luke 14 12 through 14 it says then Jesus said to his host when you give a luncheon or a dinner do not invite your friends your brothers your relatives or rich neighbors if you do they may invite you back so that you will be repaid but when you give a banquet invite the poor the cripple the lame the blind and you will be blessed Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, how many times has this happened to you? Somebody invites you to their house and you go over. You enjoy a wonderful evening. By the way, this is not saying that you should not have dinner parties with your friends. But at the end of often of those times, as you're leaving the house, often you look at them and say, hey, we're going to have to have you over to our house sometime. We're going to have to have you and, 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 and repay this because it's the way our minds work and yet... The Lord says one of the things that is rewardable when you stand before him at the end will be how did you treat those that will never be able to invite you back over? How did you treat those that might even be uncomfortable for you to associate with? But these are the ones who most need your love and attention and grace. And so clearly, the standards and the race that we run with Christ is different than the race that the world runs, only including what can be done for them in the end. And so... We continue and we're faithful and we work through those things. Hospitality that cannot be repaid. Number seven, endurance through the pressures in ministry. Second Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How many of you get tired? How many of you get tired from work? At the end of the day, you walk in the house and you just, whew, my feet hurt. I don't want to say another thing to another person. These are the things you tell the people that you love. There is this sense that the scripture says that our desire to endure through pressures and pain and hardship 
is a rewardable quality. And, and we will address this in just a moment with a, another one of these things. But, but being a follower of Christ means that you are in ministry. You might not be in pastoral ministry. You might not be in a public ministry. But the ministries that you are involved with, because Christ lives within you, there's a sphere of influence that you have, whether you are at work, whether you are at school, whether you're at college, wherever you are, your nature is a sphere of influence to those, and the Lord wants you to know that when you minister to people, when it's not convenient, it becomes rewardable. I've told many of you that know me well, I'm a, I'm a daytimer person. I'm a, I like being early for appointments. I have a schedule. I write lists. And if something gets added to it, I'll add it on there just so I can scratch it off. So at the end of the day, I, I can look and see what I've accomplished. And I hate interruptions. My wife will tell you. And yet I have discovered in ministry my life is full of interruptions. And so there are these moments I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I'm doing this because I'm pursuing reward. Just want you to know, I'm looking for the honor that comes with this. You know. The nature that each of us has in these things brings us to that. But there is an endurance that comes when you're doing the right thing that the Lord said is rewardable. Number eight, quality work for your employer. And some of you are going, they don't deserve it. Didn't say that here. In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. In other words, we are being asked here to replace the faces of human beings in difficult times and replace it with the face of Jesus. Even when it seems as if people are not worth or worthy of your investment, you do it and you work hard and you give it your best, even when it seems they're not paying you enough. And you do it, not because, well, I'll give them a better effort if they give me more money, but you do it because you, everything you do is representing Jesus Christ. I am doing this under the Lord who said, great will be my reward. In other words, when the ledger is handled at the end, I will be thankful that I chose to give my best effort in everything that I did rather than just do what I think they thought I was worth. Number nine, faithfulness through trials. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Did you see those praise, glory, and honor? Did you see that? This is Jesus praising you, bringing glory to your life, and honoring you because of your faithfulness, your faithfulness to stay true when times get tough. One of the things that I've enjoyed about so many of the testimonies that we've heard is is people were saying that there were difficulties that came into my life, and as a result of that, I was drawn away. But Jesus never gave up on me. And his Holy Spirit kept wooing me back. And I would feel it on the inside. And I was wondering, how, how can I respond to this? And, and the love of Christ kept drawing them back. And, and they came back out of a faithfulness to the Lord's drawing. And that now that there is this, this body of believers. And one of the things that I love about this church is you make an individual decision to be a follower of Christ. The Lord says every one of us will stand alone and be judged based on the decision that we made. Whether I follow Christ or not. But following that decision, you are 
you are engrafted into a body of believers and that we walk this together. We encourage one another together. When people are going through difficult times, there's an arm around them and a word of encouragement that, that lifts them up and encourages them to continue to move on. And we encourage each other through the trials of our life that we can remain faithful. And it says that Jesus rewards this. And number 10, faithfulness to the truth. Faithfulness to the truth. Worship team, would you please come and prepare yourself. It says, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Here's what I want you to know. I know that on Sunday morning, and especially the first service, there are some of you that get up on the Sunday morning and you look out and, the, and you see it raining, or here you see it snowing in May. You're thinking, you know what, there's other things I'd rather do today. I want you to know that God honors your faithfulness. There's something about you being faithful to the house of the Lord that not only does it bring you to a place where God can nourish you, but your presence encourages others. Your presence encourages me. And it's through the faithfulness of just doing the right thing at the right time and the right way and making it a part of your life that the Lord says that faithfulness is going to be rewarded in the end. And so Christ clearly outlines for us ten things that he says, you want to stand before me and be rewarded in the end? Here are ten things that scripture says you absolutely will be rewarded for. Some of you today may have been pursuing your own agenda for so long that you failed to realize that your taste for the things of God has grown numb. And today, maybe the Lord is just tapping you on the shoulder and says, hey, can you focus on me again? Can you turn your attention back to me? I've got some things for you and plans for you and rewards for you if you will just put me back in priority so that you're running the right race for the right prize. We're about to have communion this morning. And for those of you who are guests, we have an open communion policy, which means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of our church and you don't even have to go here to participate in <laughs> communion. The only requirement is that you follow Jesus. And it's a wonderful time of community building for us. And I'm going to ask that our ushers begin to serve. And I'm going to ask that as you're served, if you would just take the, the wafer and the cup and that you would hold it until everybody is served and then I will lead us together in communion. Would you stand with me? i
is something that you are recommending to be done. The gospel is good news because news is a report of something that's already been done. Today we stand here in the presence of the work that has already been done for us through Jesus Christ. You see, when we were sinful beyond belief, He loved us beyond measure. We are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us, yet so loved that he was glad to die for us no one is so good that they don't need the grace of God and no one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of God and at this communion supper the scripture indicates to us that before we participate that we need a moment to close our eyes and of self evaluation I'm going to ask that you would just close your eyes for a moment And ask Jesus if there's anything in your life that would keep you from receiving the full measure of glory and joy that come from this, that he would cleanse you and prepare you for this communion supper. Let us pray.